0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 20th of May. Oh, all sorts of fun little notes. Horace Grant calling out MJ, Mike Conley doing good acts, and we'll dig into the baseball proposal and what it tells us about the NBA plus what if draft picks for the Utah Jazz. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Lock, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for keeping this a part of your schedule. I know pro schedules and lives and everything are a little different than they once were. So I know you're probably making a little bit of an extra effort to continue to have Locked on Jazz. Be a part of your life. I'm super appreciative. Uh, we have tried to bring back the Daily DeVar. I have a bunch of them in. I got one today from Chris Lee that made me laugh. So I wanted to start with that. He said, after growing up in Utah, Daily DeVar, for those who are new to the program, The Daily DeVar is the kind of good news story, what makes you a jazz fan, what makes sports special, moments in your life that kind of reminding us what this is all about. Uh, So the Daily DeVar, after growing up in Utah, I moved to Boston in the 90s. I met a friend named Steve who was also a jazz fan. Whenever I call his office, I would ask his assistant to connect me. His assistant would politely ask who's calling and I would always respond with different obscure jazz players, Ben Poquette, Delaney Rudd, Rusty LaRue. I always get a kick out of responding. Well, thank you, Mr. Scurry. Just a moment, please. Steve will be right with you. Mr. Lechner. Let me see if he's available. Mr. Mr. Hagginton, Ben Hagginton. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, I never run out of good options. Steve always knew it was me. Uh, great little fun smile today, Chris. Thank you very much. That's from Chris Lee. Appreciate it. Um, Chris also asked an interesting question to me if I thought the habit changing would change sports consumption. In other words, we've all changed habits. We've all changed. I, I, I feel very similarly to this as I do about podcasting. And that is, and this is what we've had to do with Locked On Podcast Network, is that the app consumer habits have changed. Consumer patterns have changed. Listening habits have changed. Viewing habits have changed. Everything's different, right? We're doing things in a different manner than we did before and normal will be different so what you better have is something that is fundamentally unique and you better have something that is has value sports has something that's unique and gives a value Uh, hopefully this podcast does you at least believe so if you're listening today uh, or if you've listened in the past so that's you know from a podcast standpoint. That's how we feel. So We need to bring something, and our our viewpoint at Locked On is we're bringing the tribe back. Like we're giving you your tribe. Like your tribe is your you start with in kindergarten with a tribe, and then you move on and have your sports teams, and and now you're you're a Jazz fan. Like that's what you have. And if you're a Jets fan or a Lions fan or whatever you are, that we're keeping that group together, and and our numbers kind of show that there are a significant amount of people that still want that. So that's that's what we done. I think sports does that. I think sports breaks through there's certainly some people you know there's a probably a bigger issue that this may have led to more cord cutting or things of that nature um that are going to alter the way consumption is that maybe um not being able to go to games is is going to be either changing your connection in some manner or another though the amount of people that go to games i think is is less than we probably would imagine so uh interesting points uh and, and a great conversation and, and you know, frankly, that's, that's what I found really fascinating about all of this is how, what is the new normal? How do we do it? How do we work inside of it? How does it impact us? Uh, I have found that conversation to be fat, to be engaging and fascinating and maybe, um, and you know, and maybe, you know, just to keep me in, in get, you know, entertained or, uh, I've dug in pretty hard and, you know, right, as I, as I guess my point is, like, I need something. So maybe that's a little bit of what I've, I've come up with to try to uh, keep myself as entertained as I, as I need to be. All right, a uh, few news notes. I always try to, I, I, I hopefully you're as intrigued by how we're all coming back as anyone anyway, so else. That's where I want to start today. Uh, we have also are just learning more and more about the business every day. The NFL came out that 40% of their revenues are from fans also. So we've now learned this year that both the NBA and the NFL get 40% of their revenue from fans. I'm stunned by this number. I, I never thought it was that big a number for either of those two teams uh, or either of those two leagues because the TV dollars were so huge. The flip side of that is with the next number that I'd really like to know what percentage of fans covers 80% of that. So in other words, does the first lower bowl, which would be, you know, 50% of fans cover 80% or is it the first 10 rows cover 80% or is it the sweet holders in the first 15 rows? That to me is the next number when understanding where we're heading. If we're really heading at some point to arenas until we have a vaccine that are 25% full to create social distancing, um, then what is, you know, of those 25%, how much can you garner of revenue? Can you get, can you, With 25% of your fans, can you get 70% of your revenue? Can you get 80% of your revenue? Is it only going to be 50% of your revenue? I think that's the next data point that we probably need to know uh, inside of that. Really interesting little twist on the NHL trying to return to play. Uh, They're evidently a week away from launching their restart plan. Uh, The word is still there mid-July. The word is that there are 24 playoff teams in four locations. Um, but 17%, according to the Associated Press, 17% of all NHL players are not in North America right now. And Canada has banned all non-essential travel between the U.S. and Canada till June 21st. Well, that gets really interesting. You know, six of those Canadian teams are part of the 24 teams that expect to play in the playoffs. So that would be... That would be a really interest. Like that adds a little twist. I don't. I don't quite know exactly what that twist is, or how we figure out that twist. But it's um, it's worth kind of keeping an eye on uh, on what impact that will have on on what takes place with the NHL's return and whether players can't get places or need to get places or somehow you know, the other possibility would be that they determine, that they deem themselves to be uh, essential. Uh, I wanted one more last dance thing. I've kind of alluded to this in the past, if you've listened to me, that there was not a lot of love loss between Horace Grant and Michael Jordan. I covered Horace in Seattle when he got there, and that was clear when I talked to him. And boy, did he torch Michael Jordan yesterday. And it's interesting that it took... You know, it's probably about time somebody turned the tables a little bit on this thing on, you know, hey, he's the guy killing everybody. Everything's fine as long as it's from his perspective, right? And, you know, it's the whole Charles Barkley criticize, Horace points out, like Charles Barkley criticized the way the Charlotte Hornets have run, and then they didn't, they haven't had, you know, they haven't had a conversation since that Jordan and Barkley have not communicated since. So I thought was, there's a value. I mean, Horace went hard, but there does seem to be a value to like turning the tables on this a little bit and saying, Hey, wait a second. You know, you're not, this is not entirely fair the way it's being, being portrayed um, in, in all, in all these things. So I don't know. Just want to point that out. He certainly called him out. All right. I want to walk through the major league baseball, um, uh rules and I want to do our what if which is Utah Jazz draft picks kind of we looked through the the heyday of the jazz through 98 99 and and found there weren't a lot of what ifs in their draft picks let's run through 2000 through 2010 next and look at what if on draft picks and the first one, breaks all will break all of our hearts a little bit we'll look at that one that's kind of the one probably pick in jazz history you really think to yourself like oh my gosh we'll look at that and dig into it with some reason and some understanding uh as we continue today's show is brought to you by built bar built bar is changing rebuilding the way you think about uh energy bars health bars with great macros super health and incredible taste it's Built Bar. Healthy has never been this delicious. Go to BuiltBar.com with the promo code locked on. You get $10 off your first box purchase that's right whether it's the toffee almond the common the coconut almond the german chocolate cake or the peanut butter brownie whatever flavors your favorite if you're like me and have a nut allergy then you'll like the nut free options plus the fact that built bar has their entire nut free facility that these bars come out of i was surprised how much i liked the or the uh, orange coconut cream yesterday after I did a 30-mile bike ride, which I was very proud of. I had my mint brownie delight. So check it out. Go to BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on. Get your first box with $10 off. You can build your own box. You can get a mixed box. You'll be surprised. And the macros are incredible. Just 110 calories, just four fat grams, four sugar grams, and only five net carb grams. It is all from BuiltBar. BuiltBar.com slash LOCKEDON. Today's show is also brought to you by The Store, 6200 South and 20th East, also located at the Gateway, it's Utah Zone. Really, you know, we talk all the time about how The Store brings you Utah Zone's products. You know what? The Store is just Utah Zone. I mean, really, more than anything else, that's what I would tell you about The Store, is that they are, you know, they're not one of these massive grocery stores that has... 500 different stores no there's two of them there's one at the gateway there's one at 600 south and 20th east and not only that then they carry all of utah's products i talk about when you walk into the 600 south 20th east store and you walk in over the left hand side you've got all of utah's own sometimes it's the cotton candy sometimes it's the chips right now you can get pulp cold pressed juice that's a utah company buy one get 50 percent off deal runs till june 11th local company uses the freshest fruits and vegetables create organic and nutritious juices and They've got them at the store. Also, go to the ice cream group, and you can get Utah State Aggie ice cream. That's where else can you get it? At Utah State and the store. That's it. Utah State Aggie ice cream, and you can get Leatherbee's ice cream in the store, and get the Locked On mudslide plus the Great Mudslide cookie. It's all at the store. Get that community feel. It's the place where DJ Bowler Jack used to be bagging groceries on his high school shifts and taking it, helping out the elderly to their cars, and they're still doing it now today. Uh, it's the community feel that you get. It's Utah Zone. It's the store, 600 South, 20th East. Also located at the Gateway. Stop on by. All right, let's do what if draft picks and then we'll run through Major League Baseball scenario. Play the hits, baby. So 2001's the killer. 2001 is the third fourth pick of the draft. We draft Raul Lopez with his knee injuries. He plays 113 games. We'll never know. Tony Parker's the 28th pick, and that's the killer, right? Now, it's interesting. I was in Seattle at the time, and it's interesting how the world changed. So I remember somebody saying to me, they drafted Vladimir Redmayevich with a 12th pick. And they were looking at the possibility of Tony Parker. And I remember the feeling that you couldn't have someone who didn't speak English very well as your point guard and your leader like how funny is that right like in retrospect 1200 games later so that pick is the one that just pains us because it's the same position it's four picks later it's pretty clear at the world that the kind of the draft board at that point was Raul Lopez Jamal Tinsley Tony Parker Gilbert Arenas omar cook i think was another point guard on the board at that time like those were the five or six guys you were looking at earl watson was a little later in that draft jeff trepanier out of usc was in that draft those were the guys you were looking at jamal tinsley gilbert arenas both had personal issues that you weren't entirely sure what you were going to do with arenas turned out to be quite a player and tony parker became quite a champion um that one is the killer. That's the like, what if we had drafted Tony Parker as part of the rebuild? He and Andre Karolinko, the Spurs are never the Spurs. The jazz become like Tony Parker becomes the next John Stockton. It's kind of uh, unbelievable. Frankly, Gilbert arenas have been really interesting as well. Uh, there, that is the killer pick in jazz history, 2001. And it's partially though, you know, in fairness, Raul Lopez turns, you know, uh, gets hurt. Like that's, you know, we don't, I don't think we really know what kind of player he would have been. Like, he gets hurt. Like, it's too, too hard. He played 82 games his rookie year as he was 23, so he's a little old. He didn't shoot it great, but he wasn't horrendous. He kind of got his feet under him. He shot, averaged seven points and four assists and started 11 games. And, and then he just never, you know, he never got back from that injury. And it was just a, um, So that I mean that's really the the tragedy of it is that even here on the where you're, yeah that hey he wasn't going to be Tony Parker, um, but there it wasn't as though we actually know that there's a you know a grandiose miss uh, of of that level. Two thousand and two we didn't have a pick, and you know when you're when you're trying to rebuild you end up not having a pick. Two thousand three we drafted Sasha Pavlovic with the nineteenth pick of the draft, and you know. He played 567 games uh, in his career. He start, He play, One year in Utah, played 79 games. I think people have probably forgotten that. And then, you know, we moved him uh, in a deal in which uh, he was, or excuse me, he went to the Bobcats in the expansion draft, and then he got moved by the Bobcats for Jared Dudley. So we lost him in the expansion draft. It's an interesting concept because we would have lost you know we might have lost him no matter what right so whoever you draft with that pick considering where the jazz were in 2003 maybe um you lose him. part of the reason we lost him though interestingly is that Mo Williams was who we drafted with a second round pick and we really liked him but then we had to let Mo Williams go in that first year also he had a great year for us but if you recall the jazz end up uh, he's a first second round pick, and then he goes to Milwaukee as a free agent because of the fact that in that day and age, your second round pick, you get him for one year, and then they can sign somewhere else. If you look down the list on this one, you actually have a little bit of a hard time finding a big draft mistake. So you're looking at another guard. Dante Jones was the next guard taken, eh. Carlos Delfino, Ah. Eh. Like, he played a, a few more minutes, wasn't greatly different. Leandro Barbosa had a great career. He was 28 picks. You're like, once you start to get 10, 12 picks away, I think you're beginning to, you know, bag a little bit for... Um, the draft fell off the table that year at about 14. Um, Luke Ridenauer played eight, you know, a bunch of games. Then David West, the next three guys didn't play. David West was okay. Uh, Boris Dia was a good pick later in that draft, Josh Howard but the second round did not yield an awful lot either, Kyle Corver came out of that draft so the Sasha Pavlovic pick in and of itself, there's not a great you know, Boris Diaw was an interesting player, probably the best next player taken um, but not a, not a great miss 2004 gets interesting because this is where we had the 14th and the 16th picks, we're really trying to get the rebuild going Jerry Sloan's going through, uh, Bobby Sloan's going through all the cancer. There's just a lot of stuff going on, and it's a fascinating draft because Josh Smith and J.R. Smith are two of the most talented players but have a lot of questions. I don't know if Chad Ford's done a 2004 draft review, but this one's pretty fascinating um, because there's so many different things to it. One, Sean Livingston's supposed to be the next magic and he gets injured shortly after. So we never know Dw- Emeka Okafor Okafer is the college player. That's supposed to be weight is established. And Dwight Howard's this incredible beast that you draft. And um, then Andre Udala, there's like, it's like hit like five is Devin Harris hit six. Josh Childress boss seven. Luel dang hit. Uh, Aruego eight bust, Iguodala nine hit, Luke Jackson ten bust, Beadrin's eh Swift bust, Telfair and eh. Chris Humphreys, eh. Al Jefferson hit, Kirk Snyder kind of a bust, Josh Smith, Jr. Smith both hit, Darrell Wright and eh. Jameer Nelson hits, um it's just a crazy draft, um Chris Humphreys and Kirk Snyder, the Smith brothers both high school players both out both were incredibly immature in the draft process Al Jefferson was a high school player it was just like unknown high school players that were all uh taken it's it's an interesting Chris Humphries and uh Kirk Snyder didn't really work out for the Jazz like I don't I don't think there's any question to that and we're coming off um, the 2004 year, we we're 47. It's this is kind of the transition year. Um, in o three o four, it's it's uh Karolinko Harping Arroyo team. Uh, the Jazz have not actually uh they go 42 and 40. Uh, this was a the year they were supposed to be terrible. You're supposed to go get Dwight Howard. Jerry overcoaches them to a point in which they end up being great, and then. The next year is the year where you sign Boozer as a free agent, but you end up going 26 and 56. And and you try to, you know, you're trying to figure out, like, they they draft these two young kids. It's like the long view on Snyder and Humphreys. They both play about 13 minutes a night. There's like, the thing that's so hard about this draft is like, the world was open, right? So you've signed Boozer, so you know you have a power forward. You have Harpering and Karolinko. So that's kind of your core. And you sign Memo as a free agent. But both the Boozer and the Memo draft picks are post the draft, right? Or free agency are post the draft. So as you go into this draft, you have Harpering and Karolinko and, like, not a lot of other pieces. And so everything about that draft was wide open for the Jazz to try to figure out what they were going to do. And I don't know how, when I look back at this and tried to analyze it, I'm not sure. Like, it's Chris Humphreys and Kirk Snyder didn't pan out, right? Like, they didn't really pan out. They both finished their careers averaging seven points a game. Snyder, particularly, only played four years in the league. Humphreys actually stuck around for a long time. So, like, Al Jefferson is a better pick in between those, and he was on the board. But, like, you're about to go sign Boozer. Do you know you're going to do that? You have Karolinko, who's a four. You don't really need – like, it doesn't – Josh Smith and J.R. Smith are way better picks, and they actually match, but I can just tell you stories about the two of them going through the draft process that we weren't drafting them at that point. Jameer Nelson is a diminutive point guard that might be all right, but I think, frankly, you know, I'm not entirely sure on the injury of Lopez timing on that. Like, we, do we know that we need that? And then it falls off the map pretty fast, right? So then, then you're, like, the next bunch of guys don't make the league. Delonte West is a pass. Tony Allen's a unique player, possibly, but he's also 25th. We're now 10 picks away. Kevin Martin turned out to be pretty good. And then you're back into a bunch of guys that don't make the league. So as I analyze this and I looked at it, I, I here's the—understand, well, I'm not going to, like, pick 52 and saying you should have taken him. Like, that's garbage. It's pretty interesting. Like, the picks that we should have made there were Josh Smith and J.R. Smith, but I'm just telling you, like, that's not where we are And frankly, Josh Smith and Andre Karolinko are almost identical players in some ways. So it's an it, to me, that's a very interesting retrospective draft to look at. Today's show brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, located at 4646 South State Street, also located in Linden, and located in uh, the, up in, uh, where's that place? It starts with L, Logan. Sorry about that. Um, Lyndon Logan, and 4646 South State Street. Uh, we are owners of now two Murdoch Hyundai Santa Fe's. We've just, the value, the size, the safety features, uh, the features you get for the price just was a no-brainer for us so we've now got two of them like we're like a little hyundai uh like dealership in our parking in our driveway uh and we've been incredibly pleased with what you're getting for the value zero percent apr for 84 months on the sonata and the tucson for 72 months on the santa fe i am driving the hyundai sonata right now to try it it's a sedan it's got a zip to it it's got every safety feature imaginable it feels like a incredible sports car and instead it's like thirty four thousand dollars like it's a great purchase plus everything going on at hyundai is murdoch sure and murdoch sure is making sure that you have the safe experience you can do everything uh you want to on uh line you can have the test drive come to you it's all murdoch hyundai at 46 46 South State Street. Today's show is also brought to you by SOS Solutions. This is a neat company, Utah Company. I think one of the things that most people do when they're building a company is they outsource HR, right? So why do you outsource HR? Because it's takes, you know, you go get Gusto or one of those groups, or there's a Utah company that does a great job with it uh, as well. You can do the same thing with IT. You're a growing company, you're building, you're getting bigger, and all of a sudden you have huge IT requirements. Like, I mean, banks now start started the process of making sure you're secure. Financial institutions require companies to have all security in your data. Th- this is not a game you want to play from behind when it's a crisis. So SOS support is here for you. Jason and Scott have built SOS support over the last 17 years. They work with doctor's office, live manufacturing, molding houses, steel fabrication, high-tech manufacturers, dental offices, law offices, accounting firms, construction engineers. One of the great clients for them is KT Tape. That's a Utah County company growing, doing incredible work, got all sorts of data, got all sorts of things they have to take care of. They don't want to spend 100000 plus on an IT person. So they went and got incredible relationship with Scott and Jason over at SOS Support, and they now do all their IT for them. You can call... 801-563-9600. 801-563-9700, 801 563 That's 801-563-9700, no obligation, IT assessment, plus you can get a PCI assessment as well. That is SOS support, very value-centric, day-to-day work, cybersecurity, helping out companies from five to 100 employees, they are the .IT. partner you need. Their retention rate is through the roof in the 17 years they've been working. 801, 563, 90, I really wanted to go through the baseball thing, but I'm going I'm to continue our what-if draft here for a second, because I, I love these, and I spent a bunch of time on it prepping. I just didn't realize how long it was going to take. So we've got a, that, that's the great mystery. The next year is the, is the greatest debate in jazz history. Like, should have we taken Darren Williams or Chris Paul? You know, for the time period that Darren was with the Jazz, he was every bit as good as Chris Paul. They didn't take Raymond Felton. That's the good news. They didn't get tricky and take Martell Webster. That's the good news. I don't know the answer on this one. Chris is still playing. Chris is a horrendous teammate. Like, for all the Jordan great stories, like Chris Paul is doing all the same stuff and has the bad bad stories. Um, There's no question that Chris Paul's career is far better than Darren Williams. Chris Paul will be a Hall of Famer. Darren Williams will not. Uh, But in that time period in which they were, you know, in the league, now Darren only lasts until he's 26, and that's the question. But those three years, four years of Darren at 20 points and 10 assists a game are as good as you can get. Uh, he, He was bigger physically. made sense. The other pick that year that's really interesting is the drafts, the Jazz snagging, cj miles at the 34th pick of the draft he plays i was thinking about cj yesterday actually i was going to reach out to him like his career may have just kind of come to an end without like really much of any like fanfare like he got hurt he might be over uh he played seventeen thousand minutes which is just a ton for a second round pick Ersan Ilyasova was two picks later, to two. Monte Ellis played 29,000. This second round was great. Lou Williams has played 25,000 minutes. Amir Johnson played 18,000. Marcin Gortat played 20,000 minutes. This second round had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine players who played over 10,000 minutes in their career. That is unheard of. But the C.J. Miles pick was great. 34th pick. Get 17,000 minutes out of that in your career. That is a fabulous draft pick uh, by the Jazz. So they nailed that one. Uh, The next year is 2006, and they they draft Ronnie Brewer. I was in Seattle at the time, and I remember being in the Sonic draft room, and I won't say who, but they were watching the draft, preparing for their 10th pick, and they were watching a player. And the scout yelled at the television. Please do something. I want to like you. About a player. Because there were so few players in this draft for anyone to like. This is pretty incredible. Ronnie Brewer goes 14th in this draft. 11,000 minutes played in his career. The next player played 704, and four, five. 4,600, 5,300, 1,000, 1,000, and 3,000. Rajon Rondo with the 21st pick plays 27,000. Then 3,000, 4,000. Kyle Lowry at 28,000. We're not drafting either of those. We have Darren Williams by this point. There is not another player after Ronnie Brewer other than Rajon Rondo and Kyle Lowry in that draft that play over 10,000 minutes of their NBA career until you get to P.J. Tucker, who left the league for two years and then moved on, or Paul Millsap, who the Jazz draft with a 47th pick. Like, Ronnie Brewer is actually a great pick, and I was not a Ronnie Brewer fan. But there was simply, there is no what if, who else on the board, and then... Paul Millsap is one of the greatest picks of all time. The Jazz drafting history is—I did this. You know, we all jump on. We can all jump on that 2001 How Lopez pick or Raul Lopez pick, and feel like, oh, what if? But boy, like, here we are. It's 2006. I don't have a what if for you. 2007, we draft Morris Alman. This one's a miss. Not a big miss. It's the 25th pick of the draft. And what we missed on Morris Allman was that high usage college players have a very difficult time adjusting to being role players in the NBA. Morris Allman could just never do it. And UCLA had a player in Aaron Aflalo who had played multiple different kind of roles in college at that point and had shown the ability to be kind of a go-to guy as well as a um, as well as a complimentary piece. He had played with a bunch of talent. He, he, he played 104 college games for UCLA. He averaged 17 points his last year. Um, but it early, you know, there'd been other players on those rosters that were better. And so he had to learn how to play with them. And that's, you know what, that one, like that was a clear choice. Like they're played the same position, same kind of guy. You're looking at it like that. It was two picks later. Oops. Like I think we missed on that one. I don't know if we shot the moon. I loved Morris Allman coming out of that draft. He was so skilled. Uh and I I don't think I knew entirely enough at that point to understand entirely how hard it is for a player who's not a um who's not a a a complimentary player to become a complimentary player. That's just not something that's natural uh for these players. So uh I I think that when you when you look at that one, that's a miss. Um Aaron Brooks with a little point guard that came out. We weren't gonna do that. Now there really isn't another miss in that group, frankly. Carl Landry gets drafted uh with the 31st pick. We have Booze, Glenn Davis at 35th. Um, so there's not actually another miss in that. It's like one player miss. Like we should Marcusol went forty-eighth, nobody knew, um, became a great player. Like, so that's just the one. Like, okay, we should have drafted Aaron Aflalo. Over Morris Hallman. What if? Eh, Probably not a whole lot of what if, frankly. I'm not sure. You know, Aaron Flalo might have been a nice athlete to have on the team. I'm not sure. Um, It's a massive, massive move. 2008, we draft Kosta Kufis with the 23rd pick. And this one's a little painful. This one's a little painful because of one or two picks that are right after him, and you kind of look back at the Jazz roster at the time. So if we go back and look at the Jazz, kind of where they were in 2008, um, we're we're building up uh, the 2000, if we go back and look at the 2007-8 season going into that draft, we've lost in the Western Conference semifinals, we're just, we've lost, we beat the Rockets. Uh, that's the Boozer Memo playoff series with Darren. We lose to the Lakers in six. We're pretty good. Right? Like that year we were healthy. We're pretty good. We've got Ronnie Brewer. We've got Kyle Korver. we got Paul Millsap and Matt Harpering. They're all uh, the benches. Korver, Millsap, Harpering, Gordon Gierichek. The starting lineup is Darren, Ronnie Brewer, AK, Boozer, and Memo. Like this is a, this is an unbelievably good basketball team um they're the number one offense in the nba the number 12 defense in the nba and we're lacking some length and and we draft coast who never had the athletic skills i don't entirely know what we thought we were getting there and how that was going to fill in as the backup to memo or what we saw and the next three picks all become like great NBA players Serge Abaca, Nicholas Batum George Hill like wow Abaca um, with his length he was a little unknown we hadn't dabbed into the foreign game a great deal on bigs yet we'd taken Lopez and Pavlovic, so we've done that Batum was another foreign player. I don't know if we were like behind in that area. And we somehow missed those two. And then George Hill out of IUPUI ends up being in the Kawhi Leonard trade. Could you imagine the what if we go at George Hill would have been a great addition because he plays next to Darren, gives you some shooting at the two. Um, and then there's not the Kawhi Leonard trade. Could you imagine the what if on that one? Um, so that one's a little unfortunate. That one, um, not only could I not pronounce Costacoufis's name that whole draft night, I remember kind of like, "Wow, I don't know if I get it. DeAndre Jordan was on the board then also, so if you were looking for um uh, you know another center, you could have gone uh in that direction um so anyway, it's um that one is that one's the bummer like if you look back at this era, that's probably the one where you say to yourself, what if?" Uh, a little bit more than any of the others the next three guys uh, in the draft all come together in that level and are just uh, all could have just a team that was so great um, might have been able to push you over the edge now a played 18 minutes his first year in Oklahoma City um, and 27 his second so maybe he could have helped Nicholas Batum in his first year in Portland played 18 minutes played 25 in his second so you know, and George Hill uh, jumped in pretty quickly in San Antonio. Same thing. 17 is first year. 30 is next. 29 is next year. Both those guys kind of were on that realm. So, interesting. All right, we'll do some more of that. We'll do the baseball stuff tomorrow. Uh, no live show again this week I'm because uh, I got to get the show out really early. Uh, thanks to everybody involved in today's show. Thanks for tuning in. It is a Wednesday edition. Make sure you go tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Hollinger and Duncan, an NBA show. Have a great day. And hit that subscribe button.